as I look at the Christian life, as I think about people within the Christian life and leaders that I admire throughout church history, the one that I find that I keep coming back to, and I may have mentioned him before, is uh, Athanasius. Athanasius was the Bishop of Alexandria. He lived uh, from 296 AD to 373 AD. And he was Bishop of Alexandria for roughly 445 years. But as he was Bishop, he was exiled five times. That means he was driven out of the church for various reasons, mainly due to political reasons within the Empire of Rome, where he had to flee the church because they were coming to kill him. And he was outside of the church where he wasn't caring for his people at Alexandria for a total of 17 years, almost half of his ministry or half the time he was bishop. And the question that keeps raising up as you look at Athanasius is, why is he so motivated to keep coming back? Why does he care for his people? See, there is at one point where he's been in the wilderness Well, he's been going around the monasteries of Egypt for roughly five years. And as he's been running from the Roman emperor, the emperor dies in a war and another one comes back. And this emperor being, his name being Justin Justin the Apostate, he wanted to divide the church because he hated Christianity. So his plan to divide the church was to invite all the bishops that had been exiled to come back, including Athanasius. And so Athanasius comes back to Alexandria and he starts to uh, to care and minister to the people of the city. And as he's doing that, he's calling people to come and trust in Jesus Christ. He's arguing for the full divinity of Christ. He's in these what's called the Trinitarian debates. And he's arguing that Jesus is God and that we could all come together. And he was so successful at it that... Justin the Apostate, who had called all these bishops back to create division in the church, now could see the unity that Athanasius was creating in the church and decided to go and get him and kill him and Athanasius had to flee again. Athanasius was a man who was motivated by the truth. He was a man motivated for the love of his people. And though he was exiled, though he was treated badly, he kept coming back. Because he loved them, because he cared for them, because he loved God, he cared for God. As we come to this last section, or as we come to this section of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which is the last section of an argument that starts way back in chapter, at the start of chapter 10. What we're seeing that Paul is asking is, what motivates or what should motivate leaders? And what motivates people to listen to their leaders? So the motives are really what is being focused on here. And Paul is questioning the motives of the Corinthian church. And he's asking them, what motivates you to act the way do you do in any given situation? Now, as I said, this last section of the letter really starts back and completes an argument that started in chapter 10. And Paul starts off really by saying, now I, Paul, make a personal appeal to you by the gentleness and graciousness of Christ. Paul is making appeal to the Corinthian church. 
And the question is, okay, you've made, you're making this appeal. What is the appeal that you're making, Paul? What do you care about? And it comes out really in chapter 11, verse 2, it's where Paul writes this. I wish you would put up with a little foolishness from me. Yes, do put up with me, for I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, because I have promised you in marriage to one husband to present a pure virgin to Christ. Paul's appeal to the church has been this whole time, you are Christ, you belong to Christ, I love you and I want what's best for you and I'm appealing to you to come and put your trust in me because I want you to be set aside for Christ. Paul, throughout this section, has been arguing for their sake and that really comes out. And he's really asking the Corinthian church, What is leading you guys astray? What is making you turn aside? Why, Corinthians, why do you want to separate from me? What have I done? And so he starts off in this first section in from 11 to 13 and he really says to the Corinthians, what from my ministry have you been missing? What what have you lost out on? He says in verse 13, So in what ways were you treated worse than the other churches, except that I personally did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. This is a bit of a strange verse for us because there is a cultural issue going on here that we can miss. And the cultural issue is this, it's the cultural issue of patronage. See, in the Roman times or at the time of Paul, they had this idea of, well, if you're going to come and minister to the church, if you're going to be a minister of our church, we're going to be your patron. That is, we're going to give you money and we'll send you out. And then, you know, we will be with you, you will be with us, but you will be our patron. You will do as we say. And Paul is saying, no, It's not the relationship. I have deliberately not been a burden to you. I have deliberately not taken money from you because I love you. And this is what the Corinthian church is holding against him. It's On its surface, it's an issue of money. And Paul is saying, I don't want your money. In fact, it's not that Paul doesn't think you should receive money for ministry. He's taking money from the Macedonian churches as we have seen. The issue isn't about money. The issue is about the way the culture and the Corinthians viewed the money and the way they viewed Paul's relation to them in relation to money. They thought, well, we give you money and then we own you. And Paul is like, no, that is not the right way to think. I have given you everything. I have shown you that... I am a true apostle of Christ. You've not missed out on anything the other churches and there's a, this section on signs and wonders and him saying, you've got it all and I'll deal with the signs and wonders in the cutting room floor. But the big point of the whole section of from 11 to 13 is, Corinthians, you have not missed out on anything. The only wrong 
is that I haven't made myself your patron by accepting money from you. Why do you hold this against me? Why do you want to move away? Why do you want to separate from me? And so Paul is saying this issue of patronage is being brought up as an issue so that they can get away. But Paul wants to make it clear. The gospel comes first. The gospel is important. Whatever is a hindrance to the gospel going out, I will remove or take away that issue so that the gospel purity can go forth. And so he says, I, am, I will not be a burden to you, for I'm not seeking what is yours, but you. Paul doesn't want their money. He doesn't want their food. He doesn't want whatever they think is important in life, whatever they think are the big cultural issues of the day. Paul is saying, I want you. I care for you. You Corinthians are what matter. And it comes really out in verse 16. Now granted, I have not burdened you, yet, sly as I am, I took you in by deceit. See, 16 is where Paul is questioning their motives. And see, where he says, I took you in by deceit, that is what the Corinthians are saying about Paul. That, well, the super apostles are saying about Paul and what they are starting to listen to. And Paul is saying, you have heard that I have taken you in by deceit. And here's the question he's sort of asking them. If I have taken you in by deceit, what gain have I received out of it? I haven't taken your money. I haven't taken your patronage. I haven't received anything of substantial uh, benefit to me. What have I gained from this relationship if I've taken you in by deceit? What possible motive do I have to do this? He's saying to the Corinthian church, think this through for a second. If I've taken you in by deceit, then what you're saying is I have gained, I have benefited from it. But what benefit have I gained? I don't get money from you. Oh, so it was Timothy, or sorry, Titus. When I sent Titus down, that was secretly, I sent secretly Titus down so I would get money from through Titus, that I would receive benefit through Titus. No, because Titus acted in the same way. He didn't burden you. He put you first. So what benefit, what have I gained from, from ministering to you? What have I received? Paul has been motivated by love. He has cared for this church and everything he has done for this church, for the sake of this church, has been motivated by love because he cares for them. See what he says? If I love you more, am I to be loved less? 
He has loved and loved and the more he's loved by not taking benefit from them, by not receiving gifts, by not receiving money, does that mean he should be loved less? He wants the church to think these things through and he wants them to see that Paul is not receiving any benefit from the Corinthians. And if he's not receiving any benefit from the Corinthians, then he is not doing it for his own sake. He is doing it for theirs. Money has a strange effect on people. Money can cause us to question motives. Money can cause us to think, wow, if I'm giving money, they must want something from me. And money is an issue always in the church. And it's an issue even as the way the Anglican Church sets up things, including here at Barney's. There is a reason why the Anglican Church has set up a stipend. The stipend is not given to ministers so that they can work. The, min- the stipend is given to ministers so that they don't have to work, so that they can serve the church, so that they can care for God's people. There is a reason why the stipend is the same for every church across Sydney. The stipend is the same for the North Shore churches as it is for the South West churches. And the reason is simply this, so that we cannot be accused of ministering for money. It is to try and make sure that churches and the ministers of the church are not hindered or not thinking about the motives of, gee whiz, money is what I want. What do I need to do to get money? How do I minister to get money? That is why it's the same. And there has been push throughout the Anglican church from time to time to say, well, the North Shore churches, they're all richer. They all expect more. Therefore, we should give them more money our ministers more money and I can tell you now if the North Shore churches were to get significant pay raises because they're in the richer leafier suburbs of Sydney what would happen all the ministers would move towards there because that's where the money is and what Paul is saying here is don't let money motivate you don't let money be the driving goal in ministry and you'd be surprised how easy it can be I'll never forget, as I was training for the ministry, hearing one, one very godly man say, beware, you can make a lot of money in ministry. And I was like, what? I never even thought. I just thought, you can't make a lot of money. And he said, no, what a lot of ministers do is on the side, they'll have all these wedding gigs and funeral gigs and they'll put extra side, money aside into these accounts and they'll say nice things like, well, it's so I can do the accident, extra just extra ministry expenses and so forth that on the side and they'll build up bank accounts and end up quite wealthy. And you can, you know, you can see the obvious ones of um, some of the, like Kenneth Copeland's and uh, of the world who are all about money. They're obvious, but it's the little issues that can be the issue, that the little indiscretions or the little bits of money here and there that can cause the real issues. And what Paul wants the Corinthians to understand and what he wants us to understand as well, don't let money be the motivating factor for ministry. 
And he's making sure that money is not the issue in the Corinthian church. He's looking at the cultural context. He's looking at the scene and going, this is going to be an issue for the Corinthians. The gospel is the most important thing that they need to hear. I am going to remove this issue. I am not going to be a burden to them. And I want them to understand that money is not the prime focus of life. What's our relationship to money? How do we think about our giving? What do we expect from our missionaries? It is good to pray for missionaries. It's lovely when missionaries give us letters and tell us of what's going on. Do we expect it? Is that a condition of our giving? Or is that just a joy to be able to partner with them in the sake of the gospel? Again, what is motivating you to do the things you do? Which leads really to Paul's whole reason for this whole section starting at 10. And he says this, verse 19. And verse 19 is the key to this section of the letter. You have thought all along that we were defending ourselves to you. No. In the sight of God, we were speaking in Christ and everything, dear friends, is for building you up. Paul's goal is to see people grow in Christ. Paul's desire for the Corinthians is to see them grow to love and to know the Lord Jesus. His whole ministry philosophy, theology, his focus, whatever word you want to word, put there, is to see people grow in Christ. That's he's driven towards that goal. That is his goal. He wants to see people grow. He loves to see people grow. And if that is his goal, that is his motive for, uh, for the Corinthians and for his ministry, then it will come out in the way he interacts with people. So you see the opposite just in the, final, uh, in the next verse. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I'll find you to be what I want. No, that, oh, sorry. When I come, I will not find you to be what I want and I may not be found by you to be what you want. There may be quarrelling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance and disorder. See, all those negative characteristics, they're all a sign that the issues that you want, that the things you want in life, those are the symbols that you are not seeking the unity of Christ. You are not seeking the unity of the gospel. Paul is not saying there won't be any disagreements. There'll be disagreements. There'll be things where you don't agree about the right way forward. There might be even disagreements about what you believe about a Bible verse. These things happen. But if you're driven by the unity of Christ, then these selfish outbursts, these, these fits of emotion where you must have what you want, where you must be right, well, they won't be there. Why? Because it's the unity of the gospel comes first. It was interesting. In staff meeting this week, we were talking about uh, what passage, and this is 
not a big issue. But we're talking about what passage we would use for Christmas. And we all came up with different passages and we're all talking about and we all listened to each other and we didn't really come up with a solution but we said we'll talk about it next week. There was no arguments. There was no anger or rancor. There was no, oh, we must have this. It was just, okay, here's what we all think. There were disagreements. Oh, let's move on. We're not, it wasn't a big issue. Why wasn't it an issue? Because the goal is most important to see people encouraged at Christmas as we listened to each other's ideas, as we talked and disagreed about really what is an incidental uh, argument, but it shows unity because if you know what's important, if you know the goal you're driving at, then you won't fight over incidental things. You won't be quarrelling and ambitious arguments. You don't have to be right. Your will doesn't have to be the one that wins. You can talk about it and come to some sort of common agreement and work your way forward. People who are unified in the gospel, who want to see the gospel go forward, will not be divisive. Will not want to put their will upon others. That will slowly out of graciousness and kindness, seek to see other people come around because they allow the truth to come forward. They allow the gospel to go forth. It was interesting, just in the last few days, the appellate tribunal, as Joe sped last Sunday, has come down with this this resolution on same-sex marriage in absolute contradiction to what the Bible says. And when I first heard it, my initial reaction was, eh, what's new? See, the reality is people will always want to do whatever it is they want. They want to, if they don't want to listen to God, they will listen to whoever they want to listen to and then they will force their will upon others. And there's nothing you can do about it. The truth will come out. God's word is strong even though we are weak. What we need to do as Christians, what we need to do as leaders, what we need to do as people who care about the gospel is remain united around the truth, that we lovingly care for each other. We need to question our motives. Why is it that I want this? What is my reasoning behind it? If we're wanting to separate, What is the reason why we want to separate? Is it because of gospel truth or is it really because of what I want? See, as a leadership team, and I can say this honestly about Joe and Dave and I, we love you. We care for you. Have we got things wrong this year? Yeah, Pop, definitely. It's been a tough year. But we are motivated by love. Will there be disagreements amongst us as a church? Yes, there will. But if we're driven by the unity of Christ, if that's what matters, if our desire is to see people built up in him, we'll work through our issues, we'll work through our disagreements. If our motive is Christ's glory, if our goal is to see the gospel go forward, then for the sake of the glory of Christ and for the sake of each other, we will work together to see 
that goal come to fruition. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for the gospel. We thank you for Jesus who died for the forgiveness of our sins. We know, Father, there will be disagreements. We know that there will be rancor. There will be issues in church. We pray, Father, that we will be driven by the unity of the gospel and that we will put away selfish ambitions or vain conceits. We pray, Father, as people who are prone to sin, that where we are wrong, we are quick to admit it. And where we are struggling with issues or with other people, we'll be quick to listen, quick to love and slow to anger. We pray, Father, that the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ will always go forth, that we will hold it as our shining light and through that, that we'll be unified together, one body under Christ for his sake and for his glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.